Coming up on this week's episode of the Big Footy Podcast, we talk all about the big wins and the big losses on the weekend, we preview the next weekend, and we talk all about the AFL's new equalisation rules. All that and more, coming right up. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Big Footy Podcast. With me tonight, a stellar cast of uh, distinguished gentlemen from across the country. I've got SM from the Swans Board. Good evening. Hello, all. Hello. And uh, he joins us for the first time this year. And we've got Seppo, who's back again for another round. Uh, good evening, everyone. And Cookson, this might be your first time this year, I think. No, I've been on like... I don't even know how much, but whatever. Estoy Cookson los filosofos totas football. Really? What, yes. did you, what did you just say, Cookson? I am, I am Cookson, the total football philosopher. Um, okay. Well, we're going to we're, we're put that uh, to the test tonight, I suspect. Um, big week in football, as always. Guys, what were your uh, highlights from the weekend? Uh, Taylor Walker's back. Well, he played a good game. That's about it. And also, what I found odd, I guess, or weird, was probably Thursday night, where seeing Geelong get completely smashed, I was like, what the hell's going on? Don't steal my highlight. <laughs> yeah, so it was a very that... unlike Geelong performance, really. It was. It was. It was. I, I was flabbergasted. I think the mood around the stadium was just one of shock, because... I just don't think anyone expected Geelong to capitulate quite like that, and it wasn't even it wasn't even that we necessarily played better than them, which we did, but it was just the fact that probably from the second half onwards they just completely caved in and gave up. Um, they'd score a goal, or they kick a goal, and we'd basically from the bounce run in and kick a you know reply straight away, and just the ease with which we were going into their forward fifty and, and slotting goals was just amazing. Mm-hmm. And what about? Well, uh... The things I like from this week was Melbourne pushing Port to show that no, they are beatable and they did get close. GWS pushed the Hawks really well and must say Brisbane pushed Carlton so much they fell over and crumbled right at the end. Sorry, Wookie. No, no, no need to apologise. Uh, we'd like to thank everyone that participated in the game, uh, including the umpires, who uh, <laughs> oh, I, I think it's uh, universally recognised that they played a significant part in the last 10 minutes of the game. But, I didn't notice them at all. No. <laughs> it's probably the, probably the problem. <laughs> uh, I think there's... Uh, look, we lost because we uh, we didn't play well in the first quarter. Um, in fact, we played appallingly in the first quarter, and you just don't come back from that. So, um, to people blaming the umpires, I mean, yes, it played a part at the end, but it played no part at the start when we were just not there. So, I think my highlight for the round, though, goes to uh, <laughs> Josh Bootsma. And uh, and his, uh, the club evidently found nude selfies of a girl on his phone or something. I'm not entirely sure how that's what I, <clears throat> what I don't understand the process of that is that he was using Snapchat, which by definition should delete the images after about five seconds. So unless he's screenshotted them, in which case he's a complete moron, um, I don't quite understand how that's all gone down. I believe it was the other way around that he sent his... Yeah. Um, right self-image to a young person and they've 
screenshotted it and yeah. someone else has seen it and it's got back to the club. Yeah, apparently right. a member of the public notified the club. So <laughs> he, <laughs> got, he got dobbed in. They took, what Josh did is he took Mick Malthouse's messages of freak snags a bit too far in this case. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like I've, uh, I've mentioned before that um, on our board that it was you know, the one time that a, a Carlton player had the um, the opportunity to really show some balls and he's he's, he's out the door. <laughs> I think it certainly made Malthouse's job of uh, list management or the recruiters there and, a job a bit easier if they're going to turn the list over. And that's why it makes it the highlight for me because he was going to go at the end of the year anyway, I think, so feeling on the Carlton board. And, uh, yeah, so he's gone. And uh, we can look forward to filling it up with some other random spud. skinny spud that will probably do nothing for us like most of our drafting for the last 10 years. Well, you could get a rookie off the list to um, take his spot. Maybe like that Scotland guy. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, because also there's Scotland and Diagon have also already gone out the yeah. door as well. Yeah, so, so we're three down already. have three players that have actually yeah. left the list. I think there's going to be something of a clean out come the end of the year, so um, stay tuned there. Guys, the weekend's games, as we've uh, discussed already, um, there's a big thrashing that no one saw coming, I think, on Friday on Thursday night, um, where Sydney flogged along uh, by 110 points. Um SM, you would have watched the game. You probably were, were you there? Yep, I was. I was at the game. Um, I've already it was a good I crowd probably, as well. Good turnout. Yeah, it was great crowd. I was actually really surprised because um, I got there a bit early and it did look like it was going to be a small crowd to start with because of the Thursday night time slot. But ended up filling out pretty well to about thirty-seven thousand, which I think is our highest crowd since '05. I think at the SCG. Um, yeah, I mean, I've already said a bit, but the crowd is a bit stunned. But I just. I've said ever since ever since um, Kurt Tippett's come back into the side, we've looked really dangerous going forward because the forward lines had the right dynamic. I think with just Franklin up there, um, the structure didn't quite work because he'd rove up onto the wings and we'd have no one staying at home. But um, with Tippett there as well, and now with Goods and Reed as well, we've got those four tall forwards who are actually quite mobile and um, all provide a bit of a threat and quite hard to match up on. Do you think that was just the uh, accumulation of those three talls? all working together? Like, do you think they're all going to fire those same performances every week? Because I think it was just phenomenal the way that both Tippett, Buddy and Goods played. Are you going to get that every week from all three? That well, you, you, have, you have to look at the way that we've gone about our last few games. And you look at the game against Freo, you look at the game against Hawthorne, you look at the game against Essendon. And they have. I think Tippett, Tippett's averaging something like 3.5 goals a game, I believe. I could be wrong on that since he's come back, and he's actually carried that average all the way through from last year as well. So um, there's nothing to suggest that he'll slow down, and Franklin seems to be getting better as well. Reed's the one that Reed and Goods are the ones that could be a bit more inconsistent, but I think as long as you know, as long as you can count on maybe four or five goals between Franklin and Tippett in any given week, which it looks like we can at the moment, um, our midfield look like they can contribute quite a bit as well, which is the other facet, which is our midfield's really starting to click. Um, and, yeah, I mean, there's nothing to say. I mean, I, I say this now and we'll go out and either win a close one or lose to Gold Coast, but there's nothing to suggest that the performances are going to be anything inconsistent from here. Okay, so, uh, and this will interest Cookson anyway. Uh, St Kilda and Collingwood on Friday night. Um, I think we saw a loss. I'm not sure we saw as big a loss as ended up happening here. This was uh, 86 points in the end. Yep. And, pretty uh, much 
we were good for three quarters. I was assuming I was looking good for three quarters. Then last quarter, it's just pew, it's like car crash, fall off a cliff, insert whatever adjective. But yeah, it's just we probably we've actually struggled to do this for since probably about 2010. Actually, under Ross Line, is that we've never we've always never seemed to play four decent quarters of footy it's just always oh it's, we're a bit shit here a bit shit there but on the whole I was impressed by Cameron Shenton who's come in and rebounded really well and Jack Noons who's pretty much has not been talked to or talked about by really anyone but he's been remained consistent always getting 25 plus possessions a game and probably as our best young player in my opinion anyway and Rewalt is Rewalt. Okay. Okay, so do you reckon the, the way you, you guys played, and you mentioned Shenton and some of those younger guys, and it's a shame Akers have got injured, and I was really impressed with Billings in the past games he's played, but do you reckon there's a massive hole in your list of you know talented sort of mid-tier players, you know, like the 50 to 80 gamers that yeah. sort of help you get through? Are, are, you, are you saying that you um, haven't really bottomed out yet and you've still got you know massive losses to come if you some of the older guys retire at the end of this year or you know struggle to get those mid-tier um sort of filled yeah pretty much if you look at the list it's woefully imbalanced because you got six veterans with over 30 years old etc then you got i think jack stephen and james gould are the only two players who are between 250 games well then Pretty much, it's Reese Stanley who's just playing his 50th game this week if he plays. And it's pretty much, it's just we've got young players, old players, we've got stuff all in the middle. So it's just, it's unbalanced because we went all in for a flag and it backfired massively. So just got to accept the consequences, but draft away and just get more preseasons in. Okay, Saturday we had uh, Melbourne and Port Adelaide played off at Traeger Park in Alice Springs. They're, uh, I think their first ever home and away season game up there. Um, Jeremy did, Howe took a hanger, which was good, but... To be expected is, from him, really. This was yeah. only a 20-point win to Port. I think most people would have expected this to be a bit of a blowout, really. But um, it wasn't. Melbourne committed themselves well, and uh, a close game. It's, it was really well, ironic or a bit funny that the worst game on paper was probably the best one to watch all weekend. I mean, it was good... Footy played by both teams and Port got over the line by being a bit more classier about it. And the fact that Melbourne actually held the lead twice, they sort of came in the third and even looked like they were about to run away with it in the fourth that so they um, managed to grab one, but Port do what they do best and run out a game well. And it be interesting to see on paper how many games Port's actually won the last quarter because they are a super fit team. Mm. Oh, yeah. I mean, if it's anything close at three-quarter time, you pretty much back Port in. in. Yeah. But... um. I think it's a really, really strong indicator of the culture that Ruse is now getting into the Melbourne players. And I think it was the main reason I was keen to see him go to Melbourne was to see what he could do with one of the weaker lists in the competition. And you can already see over the first few weeks just the way that he's he's getting the players to play a much more competitive style of footy, much more uh, physical, tackling better. When I, w- I went down for the Sydney-Melbourne game and you could just see it from the ground. And it, to play like that against the side that's coming first in the ladder, you wouldn't have got that sort of performance from the D's a couple of years ago. Mm. They're sort of playing with heart and intent now, not yeah, exactly. looking at the results. They're actually playing like a, a sort of cohesive football team. Or you know, They're not getting the results, but at least, you, you know, you can watch the game, you take away the scoreline, and it's 
much more enjoyable watch than I suppose Melbourne fans have endured in the past. Mm. Uh, Saturday twilight, Brisbane Lions played Carlton at uh, the Gabba. Um, the tipping went either way on this during the week, but um, a very poor first quarter from Carlton set up a Brisbane win in the end in what was a close game, and some stupid uh, acts by Carlton players in the last quarter, some bad misses and some poor umpiring all combined to give Brisbane a seven-point win. I suppose it all comes back down to that first quarter. You let Brisbane get what close to a 30, 40-point lead nearly in the, the first, and... Um, I believe this is the second time this year that Carlton's actually lost to the bottom side, isn't it, Hookie? It is. It is indeed. Mm. Not something we're proud of. No. Um, and there are some fundamental issues in the side that will have to be addressed at year's end, which I think we are already addressing by discarding uh, some of the early dross and sending people off for retirement and things like that. So uh, come end of year, I expect us to be very active in the trade and draft uh, sections. Saturday night, the Dreamtime game. Essendon played at Richmond in uh, a game that I think Essendon were favoured to win, and they did. It was a 10-goal, 50-point uh, win, rather. Um, here's, what, here's what my thoughts were. It should have been a 100-point thrashing, but Essendon forgot how to play football for most of the game, and Richmond had no idea how to play football. It was That's the best way I could describe it. I mean, it's just really shit to watch. I just didn't feel anything watching it. I just went, I'll oh, stop this, I'll do something else, but it's just... Yeah, it's, it's just it seems like those two play, they they have such an open style of football. There's not very many tackles that get laid, and just, yeah, I have to agree. I mean, Essendon really were all over them for the whole game, but it was just such a nothing game. Mm. Mm. Oh, I watched most of the game. It actually switched off right before the end, but I, I did manage to capture um, Alex Rance's brain fade with that kick across goals. I'm not sure if you guys saw it. Oh, I've seen I saw the highlights. That, uh, but highlights, yeah. Oh, it's one of the uh, biggest brain fades that I've seen in a long time. It sort of just sums up the way that Richmond are playing at the moment with no confidence. And you, you just wonder, is that you know sign of things to come for the rest of the year, Richmond, or is, are they going to snap back and... You know, turn it on when they... Well, who's they got next week? Gone. Yeah. Next week, they have got... North Melbourne. North... Ooh. Oh, no, no chance of bouncing back in that game. Yeah, no. Oh, you don't know about North. I, I think yeah. they're up there this year, and I think yeah. Richmond are gone. I've, mm. I've written yeah. off. It's, but, uh, um, Richmond it's side, once the line's been put through them and they've got nothing to play for, that they might come out and actually play some decent footy there because I'm not sure how they're close up. Well, they're really playing with a full list. I think other than Jake King, they've... And, you know, they've lost Koch and I think in Deledio at certain times, but and Marich has only just come back. But they're almost playing with a full list, so you can't sort of put that as an excuse. And um, you just wonder now, it's, now those older guys are getting too much. And is it Hardwick? Is it the players? Mm. Who knows? Everything, really. All right, the Super Sunday. And uh, Adelaide played Gold Coast at Adelaide Oval. Another stellar crowd there. And Gold Coast were competitive. Um, they didn't get the win in the end. Adelaide running away uh, by 32 points. Um, I'll be brutally honest. I, apart from seeing Taylor Walker's highlights, I saw nothing at this game whatsoever. I was. I think Gary ever got tagged out of it. That's about all I can tell you. They played. Yeah, it, was, it was very impressive the way he got tagged. Actually, it was it, a carriage sort of, that had the job on him. Yeah, I think it was carriage. She just stuck with him all day and was very, very focused mm. and. I think the commentators picked up on it a bit. It was just a very, very good job. They're showing the mortal man is now beatable. 
I think that's two weeks in a row he's had a quieter game. Quiet being, you know, still about 30 disposals. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, and, he's, and he's still snapped two goals, one of them a beauty from outside 50. So, yeah, it's a quiet game by his standards, I guess. It was the mm. largest crowd Gold Coast have played in front of ever. Wow. Um, on the weekend. so It just shows how well the experiment of uh, playing games at Adelaide Ovals turned out for both the Crows and for Port. Absolutely, and I see as well that... Uh, the uh, AFL website today is saying that Carmichael Hunt is a chance to come back for Gold Coast and yep. play, play a game or two. So things things happening up there. Uh, Western Bulldogs of Fremantle Seppo uh, played on Sunday afternoon. Uh, um, fr- yeah, I did get down to that at uh, Eddie Had Stadium. That was a shocking crowd there. There was some, um, I think, only fourteen thousand there for for a Sunday afternoon game. It was um, yeah. I think it shows Bulldog supporters. It yeah, was, I think um, it shows how far about, Bulldogs are off the boil. So, yeah, it was it's, probably about four thousand out of that number could have been Freo supporters because it was quite packed down our end. But it was a very empty Etihad Stadium, and the result sort of went the way it I thought it would. But um, I was very surprised that the um, I've never gone off my head so much in terms of umpire decisions, especially when you see some of them right in front of you being right up against the fence line. But the fact that we only got four free kicks for the whole game. I think it was highlighted on um heard some talk back radio with the um umpires. Wait, I think how McBurney many free kicks for the game? We had four free kicks for the whole game. And that was four Jesus. up until three quarter time. We didn't get one in the last. That's that's gotta be a record low. It it was an equal record low since the free kicks have been counted. And on um mentioning the umpires and review on a talk back radio station they conceded that there could have been two more free kicks played to Freo. So <laughs> after the review of the game, um, they've picked out two that could have gone our way, but it felt a lot more on the night. So I don't know what the umpires are trying to do for the Bulldogs there, but um, very interesting. Whatever you was... thought of the... Sorry, go on. I was just going to say about the Bulldogs, it's just their key forwards and stocks are just completely bare. It's like they really... Like Bulldogs as a club has really not had any key forwards. It's just they really... They probably need to hope that they draft and develop a good one for this year's mm-hmm. draft, which will be bumper. But, I mean, they had like, what, 60 inside 50s to Fremantle's 40? Mm. That, well, they won the, so many of the key stats. I think if you actually look over the main stats of the game, Bulldogs won a lot of it. And it sort of came out when they played contested footy in the middle and actually... Um, sort of beat us in um, a lot of the um, clearances and inside 50s. But the fact that you're saying they don't have a ready-made key forward to get on a lot of the hard work that Libertura and Griffin and some of those guys do, that they just can't capitalise. And they'd be a different side with um, sort of good bookends at either either end of their um, sort of building midfield they've got. Mm. 14,913 people at Etihad Stadium. As, it uh, felt a lot less. Pretty it, poor. it felt like there was about 10,000 there. It was terrible. But... Then across the road at the MCG on Sunday afternoon, or Sunday evening, we had uh, 17,904 people turn up to see Hawthorne uh, probably get the crap scared out of them by GWS, uh, which is probably why Messenger isn't on this week. He's still washing his clothes, I suspect. <laughs> uh, yeah, given this this game last year was also close until three-quarter time, this one was close right up until the end. The Hawthorne got away uh, with a win in the end by seven points. An interesting debut for the new coach down there, or for the standing coach. Yeah, it's mm. interesting. I mean, how much do you attribute the game to either the missing personnel for Hawthorne, 
the spirit of GWS or the fact that Hawthorne actually had a, a pretty novice coach. Um, I reckon it's it, more on the Hawks mm. person. A combination of that not to do with GWS. You've got to remember they've come across that. I think it was a flogging last week against Richmond, wasn't it, that they yeah. um, suffered. So that's too big of a turnaround for a new club to really say so they push it up to Hawks. You sort of have to span their performance over a couple of weeks to see where they're at. It was probably more Hawks, you know, missing some key personnel and the new coach that might have affected that result. Well, exactly. I think the last two weeks for GWS, they had Josh Kennedy kick 11 on them from the West Coast, and then they had Jack Revolt do the same for Richmond. So the fact I think that we were Ruffhead, sitting here last Ruffhead week saying how many Ruffhead were going to kick on yeah, uh, exactly. GWS, but it didn't eventuate. Yeah. Uh, the last game for the round was West Coast and North Melbourne. Uh, this game was played at Patterson Stadium on Sunday evening. Um, uh, West Coast, I, I'm not sure who was expected to win this, but uh, North Melbourne ended up running out 38-point winners. And West, uh, yeah, just West Coast midfield just... It's so slow in one pace. I mean, apart from... I mean, everyone on West Coast seems to bag... It was a... Uh, Prudus, but he seems to be pretty good but still West Coast midfield just I mean when we played them Lenny Hayes was faster than all their midfielders mm. a 34 year old man with two knee recos it's just they need some pace and polish in their midfield and just give their forwards some service I mean they have good weapons up forward but they're just they're being wasted and North Melbourne to continue being the quite ultimate Jekyll and Hyde team where you really don't know what's going to turn up next week mm. Well, they've done the double over in Subi now, so yeah. I think there's some stat that teams that do that generally tend to do quite well in finals, so who knows? Okay, so uh, in the news this week, we've got, uh, and as uh, we talked about before the podcast, uh, uh, Frio player will be taking a leave of absence, uh, Josh Simpson. Uh, he won't be playing Waffle or anything while he undertakes a program of personal development, according to the AFL website. Um, do you know what the story is there? Um, yeah, they, Josh has actually um, had some other sort of personal issues outside of football um, earlier on the year. Um, he's played now two games, one last year at the end of the season where we played our B side, and he got his call up through a bit of hard work and... Um, much like young Cruz Garlic from the Hawks, you know, he's come from a tough background and um, certainly got strong links with his family to the um, country in Bush. And I think there's a bit of a, a culture sort of clash or shock that um, he's trying to work through and got a lot of personal issues. Um, this time around, it's very um, a nondescript reason why they've um, sort of pulled him out and they're saying he's, he's working through and I think they've actually fined him a couple of times for not meeting club requirements. So in terms of what's actually happening, um, it's sort of very personal. I don't think it will actually come out um, to what the issue is, but I just hope that, um, you know, Freo are investing a huge amount of time in him and a lot of other clubs have let go um, these type of players, but we seem to be working through with him on this. Um, and I just hope for his sake that he can actually... Um, come back to playing it. I don't know how long this is just like those indefinite frame of time for his um, absence, but I just hope that he can get back and work through whatever it is. With uh, Melbourne obviously selling a game to play Port Adelaide uh, in Alice Springs, and that game was pretty much sold out. There was uh, uh, five or 6,000 people there. Um, 
what what are your thoughts on 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 that game and North Melbourne also looking to sell another game to uh, Hobart in as part of their negotiations for a new deal down there? How, how do how do we see the selling of games? Perhaps I mean we've sold games to Cairns, we've sold games to Darwin, um, Canberra, Canberra. Yeah. I mean we've been all over the place, and I don't I don't I don't mind these these games being taken to places that. Uh, I uh, don't see a lot of football. And, and Alice Springs was probably the last of those places that's really capable of uh, hosting a game. I'd like to say it actually worked, and it's it's doing more than just um, the the numbers and seats. It's you know providing something to those communities to saying that you know the the AFL is you know Australia wide, and we are playing games all the way up until Darwin. I think we've got. Frio versus Melbourne up there late in the season, and Richmond have obviously ventured up to Cairns a couple of times. So I suppose it all depends for each club the um, validity of where that game's played, or whether it's a blockbuster, where their clubs are in their you know Premiership window. And um, I suppose it, it's a great concept, but how and when and who does it um, will sort sort of be taken differently by each sort of supporter group, whether it's a good thing or not. I think overall it's good. I like actually seeing different grounds and even. Me as a, a regular traveller for Frio games, I love going and seeing different stadiums and it's great that some clubs are doing it. Whether it becomes more of a permanent thing for some is probably not the best idea because obviously people in their home states and, and locals want to see a lot more at their home ground and get a home ground advantage. So mm. um, what are your thoughts, guys? To, to clarify, when a, when a club sells a home game, are they compensated by the AFL for the loss of revenue that they would have got from playing it? Mm-hmm. Say, for instance, uh, we used to play games at at uh, Manuka Oval against the Bulldogs, Demons, North Melbourne, um, which was one of their home games. Were they selling their home game to the Swans or were the AFL compensating them or how did it work? The game, the game sold to the club, I believe. Okay. Um, to, uh, I think the games in the Northern Territory are 250 grand a piece, um, which is why uh, Melbourne keep going up there. And the Bulldogs were up there until this year and they're the ones that are taking over the Cairns uh, and that money's coming from the AFL? That money comes from the Northern Territory Government. Right, okay. Uh, I believe, although the AFL may pay for some of it, I'm not entirely sure how that works, but uh, the money, one way or another, gets paid to the club. Because yep. um, I know we get money direct from Wellington Government, Council or New Zealand, yep. but all in all, I wouldn't mind if we just increased it to maybe two games a year across New Zealand, or have one in New Zealand, say one in like I think that's that's next year, I think. There's two games in New Zealand next year. It was five games over three years or something, wasn't it? Yeah, I think Mm. I dropped down to three and three with the chance to renegotiate. I think I remember that. I'm not too sure. Okay. Um, No, I I personally think that all clubs should play at least one game out in the community a year. We should have, like, a community round. I think think, didn't uh, the the A-League do that, I believe. But um, mm. it's just, I mean, we've seen home and away, uh, we've seen pre-season games where uh, 11,000 people turn up at um, Wangaratta in the pouring rain and wet and, you know, to not have Essendon turn up. <laughs> it was... Um, <laughs> to have seen Interclub yeah. pretty to, much. To watch a St Kilda Interclub game <laughs> it was... Um, but I, I, look, you see all the time, you see guys like uh, re- recently retired players like Barry Hall and Mooney and Favola go out and play in front of... Well, even Shane Crawford last weekend played in front of uh, five or 6,000 people at Aldinga. Mm. Um, 
And I think if you can capitalise on sending guys out into the community like that, then surely sending out a whole team. Well, I think in Adelaide, for instance, all games are played at Adelaide Oval, and that, that's cool, and that, that's great. But I think we would benefit greatly if we could send, uh, you know, if Adelaide could play a game at uh, Central District's Oval, which is, you know, at Elizabeth, which is a 40-minute drive out of the CBD. Or if Port Adelaide could play a game at Panther, you know, Panther Park or whatever they call it down at South Adelaide. Um, and that's, you know, that's an hour out of the city. It's, you know... I think it's a great concept, but I think the only pushback you'd get is from a lot of people unhappy they couldn't attend if they were sellouts, if they became big enough games. Right? Uh, I'd never get off I, the ground. Yeah, you'd never get that's everyone what, there. And, that, but... and people will say that's what the pre-season's for. And sure yeah. it is. But I, I think it would be nice to send, you know, to have uh, a, a round where we could send people out for um, for a community, a, a community round. I think that would be good. It would show the AFL was in touch with its roots, perhaps more than... It currently is, and these local clubs that uh, like West Adelaide pre-season, they hosted a, a showdown, I think. Um, is that the Sandbell one? Yeah. Well, West Adelaide in the in the Sandville, they they hosted a pre-season game this year. Wasn't there a game at Alberton Oval, I think, or Alberton Oval, whatever it's called? No, was it... I think that was St Kilda versus Port. Yeah. But these these local clubs they make a mint off that. Oh, um, them sausages and, and <laughs> like the canteen, or beverages, car parking. It's it's. I, I think it would be hugely beneficial to uh, to send to send clubs out. But again, that's what people say the preseason's for, and perhaps it should be left at that. Anyway, equalisation is also on the menu, and uh, apparently equalisation was announced. Uh, equalisation measures were announced today. Um, clubs will be encouraged to spend extra dollars on players, um, although they won't have to pay 100% of the salary cap, which was going to be expected. The minimum will still be 95%. Um, evidently, under the new banking system that will be introduced, clubs will be allowed to exceed the competition's total player payments and additional service agreements by 5% if they spend uh, under 100% of the salary cap in the year before. So you can bank it. Uh, okay. Which is uh, interesting. So as in you could spend 90% the year before, or do you still have to spend... You still have 90, to spend 95%, right. but you can have yeah, an extra 5% between 95 and 100 the each year, year after. Right. So if I spend, you know, if you spend 95% one year, you could jump to 105 the next year? That's it. Right, So okay. you, you can bank the extra if you need to. And that, that's possibly not a bad idea, really. But, um, again, I, I, I see it as unnecessarily fiddling around with the salary cap. Um, the COLA will be reduced down in 2015 to 2016, um, uh, based on... Yeah, it gets replaced by some other thing by the AFL, which is a rent There'll be an accommodation accommodation subsidy will be introduced for newly contracted players from next year. I think that's the way it should work, really, when you look at... If there's and, people and, that should benefit from a um, a payout, it should be the younger kids that are coming up. That's there exactly that's it. it. And so, yeah, the, absolutely. The threshold for that hasn't been determined yet, but it, it is, that, w- is that going to be just for, just for the Swans and GWS, or is that going to be league wide? Swans and GWS. Uh, yeah, the other was the GWS will be subject to the same reform in the cost of living allowance, so they won't all uh, GWS won't get the cola either. Mm. As, as, as just, it's just... It's just interesting because I think there's probably, I mean, Fremantle and West Coast could put up an argument that they could be 
um, entitled to that sort of allowance as well because, I mean, Perth's not the cheapest place to live either. No, anyone could make that kind of case, really. I mean, Adelaide, in Adelaide, you don't have access to the same commercial possibilities that you do elsewhere either. It's And Geelong's a shithole. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it, it's just... You know, anyone could make any kind of. I don't. I don't think any of it should should fly, really. But it does, and the AFL continues to tinker around with it. Uh, other measures: a soft cap will be introduced on football department spending, um, and pretty much this will only affect clubs like West Coast and Collingwood. Um, the maximum is not uh, listed, apparently. So, but, I think it's the average of the league. Uh, projected industry average spend plus five hundred thousand dollars in two thousand fifteen, and increasing according to inflation in two thousand sixteen. Exceeding the limit, you'll be taxed at thirty seven point five percent in two thousand fifteen and seventy five percent in two thousand sixteen. So, Only for the first million. Yeah, pretty much. Luxury tax payments will be capped at a million dollars per club for two thousand fifteen two thousand sixteen. Veterans allowance will be retained at one hundred eighteen thousand dollars per eligible player. And will not be uh, will no longer be paid after 2017, which is interesting. And the total play uh, total play payments will exceed 10 million dollars for the first time in 2015, and rising again in 2016. So, competitive balance policies will be reviewed again just in time for the new broadcast arrangements. Seems to be a lot of. It doesn't. There's. It's. I applaud them for the ideas, but it just seems to be very flawed. I mean, I don't think it's. I don't. Yeah. All this equalisation stuff and all this salary cap would simply be balanced out quite equally by having a random draft, um, which we used to have. Everyone plays each other once, and then randomly draft the second part of whatever they did back in the day. Yeah. Um, and Eddie Stadium. It's just. Stop reckon, kick, yeah. Buy the stadium, get it over and done with. <laughs> that's what stuffs up my club, doggies, and North Melbourne, most of all. It's, 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 not... it, it's important to realise, though, that your yeah. club doesn't make... With the way that the AFL system works, your club gets uh, all its memberships still. Yeah. Um, they pay a small fee per seat back to the stadium. And so the cheque you're writing comes after you've taken your membership revenue and after you've taken the $100,000 from Eddie had per game. So you're writing a cheque back after that. You don't actually make a loss per game on the stadium. Whatever your club presidents are telling you, that's not true. That's mm. purely propaganda to bolster their cause. So because, because it's tied to uh, uh, stadium operating costs are tied to gate revenue and they're not tied to your membership revenue, so you're paying match day costs out of the match day revenue. It's uh, so if you're paying you're paying a um, if you're paying money back to the uh, the stadium, it's it may dip into your membership revenue slightly, but that's money you've already got in the bank. So anyway, um, yeah, I, I I personally think that uh, all the issues would be solved if you had a fair and random draft and. You had a drawer instead of a fixture. That's exactly mm. it. If the draw went back to what it was, um, which it probably hasn't really been since 87, um, a, a, just an even draw and a salary cap that applied equally to everyone, which it pretty much never has. It's funny, for a non-for-profit non-for-profit organisation, they're... Uh, um, 
basically manipulating the fixture to actually maximise revenue and everything like that, which doesn't sort of sit well. It's not really the idea behind equalisation. Well, it's also designed to maximise crowds, but it's having kind of an <laughs> adverse effect on that this year by playing around with time slots that people just aren't interested in. I think Dimitri has already admitted that yeah. they got the uh, fixturing wrong this year with a couple of things on his way out. He's uh, dropped a couple of things. It's saying it hasn't really worked, and Super Sunday's not one, and I don't think Monday Night Footy's one either. No. The one, one, one point I'd make in terms of um, the salary cap, as you said, Wookie, about making it fair and equal for everyone, the issue is that the clubs can't seem to agree on what the definition of fair and equal would be because you see the comments from, for instance, the um, Western Bulldogs CEO or President uh, David Smorgan uh, taking a crack at the Swans and the Swans taking a crack right back about the fact that, well, the Bulldogs got a $3 million handout from the AFL. I mean, how you know how come we can't turn around to them and say, well, that's not very fair that you got a $3 million handout? And um, it's it's just very interesting to see that, and I'm, and I'm not sitting here advocating that Cola stay or anything like that necessarily. I'm just saying that clearly each club has its own priorities in terms of its own club and coming to an agreement on what would actually be fair and equal amongst all the clubs might be quite difficult. I think I think we all live for the day where things like the Cola and these extra payouts to the Bulldogs and Melbourne and Collingwood got three million in in future uh, funds in, or in whatever. Funds. I just I don't understand how they they calculate that sort of thing. It's um just finally before we go on to this week's games. Uh, apparently, John Worsfold has mentioned that um, there will be uh, there could be zoning introduced into the league. And he's this... lost the plot. I'm glad he. Uh had time away from AFL because if that's the things he's coming up with, zone ball or whatever they're all calling it, it's... um. It, is, it has been universally panned. Oh, I think Ross Ross Lyon gave um, him a bit of uh, indirect grilling in his uh, latest today. press conference. Yeah. <laughs> and Paul oh, Roos did it yesterday and Nathan Buckley as well and just... It's a bad idea. It's... No one is, is going to buy it. Is, into is that, that zoning like along the lines of netball sort yes. of thing? Pretty yeah, much. Pretty much. Draw, drawing a line down the middle and having to keep three people forward of that, I think, was a suggestion thrown around. It, it's just ridiculous. Pretty yeah, much. Um, did you guys catch any other news that you wanted to discuss before we move on to this week's games? Yes, I did. Yes? Peter Searle. The uh, first female coach, I believe. Yep. Development coach at St Kilda and just... I, th- I think... Actually, I think that's not actually correct. I think Pat Micken... Uh, a basketball coach was actually at Adelaide a couple of years ago. So, yeah, it's, <laughs> the first can burst the bubble. I'm yeah. not trying to burst the bubble, yeah. but I'm I'm almost certain that Pat Micken was um was a development coach at Adelaide at, at, at Adelaide a few years ago. Yeah. Well, I know it says assistant coach working in development or some mm. crap. So development coach, if I get technical, but yeah, it's schematics. But still, it's just reading comments and all that. It's just. People seem to say she got it on a Maris, which is good enough. Didn't Rick Charles? Didn't Rick Charlesworth yeah. go for free, uh, go to Fremantle a couple of years ago? Hockey's a girls' sport. Yeah, I think that was in some background capacity, though, not like a full assistant coach. <laughs> so but yes, Peter Searle, what do we think about women coaches? I mean, players probably won't care. I mean, the fact of the matter is, you won't get forty-four players getting on with a single coach anyway, and. Is it really important that you played AFL, well, Aussie rules at the highest level or anything like that? I mean, there's 
I've named two coaches off the top of my head who are the best in the world, and they were pretty shit at their sports. So, but it's good for her. And again, I really don't care if they're there on their merit. Then go for your life. It's good enough for Richard. Good enough for me. I did uh, notice a thread this weekend, but um, on on Big Footy where uh, a player was saying that he was gay, just and. Uh, he was wondering why, um, basically writing that if you put more pressure on gay people to come out, they're less likely to come out. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I imagine as a gay player in the AFL, I just, it's, well, I'm just going with law of averages, but I imagine the reaction would be, so what? It's like, yeah, I you'd have to hope. Shit. I mean, I could, yeah, I, exactly. I'm with Cooks, and I couldn't really care less if they were gay. I mean, good on them if they want to come out, but oh, I just don't see why there's all this pressure on on players to come out and state their sexuality. I guess. Well, this this guy was in the Age, not on Big Footy, rather, and he was basically writing that the more pressure you put on people to come out, the less, like, the bigger deal you make out of it, the less likely it is that someone is going to come out. Well, but exactly. They're going to be treated like a circus freak, basically. I, I think there's some merit to that. I think. When uh, when the US drafted a gay player, yeah. the media made a big thing out of it, but the football community ignored, pretty much ignored the fact that he was gay altogether. That was um, there was a segment on this week tonight with John Oliver, yeah, where he was basically saying the the most astounding thing about it all is when they, you know, the 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 normal media they were all gay players being drafted, you know, the football media they were just all. Here's his stats. This is what he ranks in. You know, <laughs> like it was all business. Yeah. And, and I, it, was, I, it was great because I think the media were questioning whether he'd get drafted in the end. And I think it was the same segment I was watching where they made a joke about the fact that, well, here's this other guy who's run over a dog or something. And here's another guy who's bashed up his girlfriend. And here's yeah. the other guy. Who's, and the media doesn't care about them getting drafted. It's just this yeah. guy is gay. That was the Daily Show a couple of months back. But yeah. I, I think... Um, I would like to think that the football community itself would be exactly the same way here. Like we'd be looking at his stats, and I, I think the normal media would be like, "Oh, it's a big deal. You know, gay players have been drafted and whatnot." And I, I don't think that 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 really helps things at all. Hmm. All right, guys. Um, this week's games. Before we wrap up, uh, we've got Friday night Geelong versus Carlton at Etihad Stadium. Uh, Geelong perhaps to make a big comeback after being yeah. flogged. Honestly, I'd, I'd, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to be Carlton this week. I think Geelong will come out with a vengeance and really put their put their foot on the throat of Carlton. Especially if uh, Geelong get, I think Lonigan and Enright or a couple of players they were missing against the Swans. If they shore up their team, and I don't know how close Christensen is, but they could be back to their best. And I think they'll want to deal some um, heavy blows to Carlton. Mm. Don't watch if you're a Carlton fan. Just don't watch. Yeah, yeah. Th- thanks for that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Hawthorne have West Coast on Saturday afternoon at Aurora Stadium. Oh, Hawthorne by it's... 10 goals. Uh, the midfield's know. too good. Just the midfield's too good. And However, if West Coast, they have a chance, but they've got to be bloody clean with the ball, and they've got to be darling and Kennedy and Lacroix must kick at least 15 goals between them for me to win. Okay. The only way that West Coast would actually win this, you'd have to have torrential rain pour to affect Hawthorne's speed and skills because there's no way that on paper their midfield will be able to match it with Hawks, even with Mitchell and so many others missing for the Hawks. I really think that um, if it's a dry track, Hawthorne are going to absolutely flog West Coast down there. 
Cookson, how well, are St Kilda going to go against Port Adelaide on Saturday afternoon at Adelaide Oval? We're going to get smashed so bad. <laughs> it's going to be 100 points. Yeah. Unless a flood... Unless the, the heavens open up and give a torrential rainfall that will flood Adelaide Oval, then we can win. You know we don't cancel football games for rain, right? I'm talking about torrential <laughs> rain. Though. I'm talking about so let, be the wrath of God. Conditions. Football part, Adelaide Oval turns into a bath. Um, Western Bulldogs have the Brisbane Lions at Eddie Head Stadium on Saturday night. Uh, should be one to uh, tape your eyes open and watch on TV. I think Ooh. Brisbane. Yeah. West Bulldogs. Oh, maybe. Doggies are just out of form and they can't score goals to save their lives. So I'm going Brisbane in an upset here. This is this I'm going Bulldogs. I, I, th- I think yeah. this is the worst game of the round, to be honest. It'll be close, but it, it won't be the best skills on display. So, oh, I think Bulldogs can win this only because they've they perform pretty well for us. If they get a couple of things right, Brisbane are the type of team they win. Honestly, if the Bulldogs are going to beat a team now, it's someone like Brisbane. Okay. Yeah, I think Brisbane away from home. I mean, they've just come off a win. Uh, yeah, I can't. I think Bulldogs will win it. Okay, Saturday night, GWS play Essendon in front of what should be a blockbuster crowd at Spotless Stadium. The Kevin Sheedy Trophy. <laughs> this, yeah, so um, does anyone <laughs> does really anyone think... anyone give GWS a yeah, I, I, I don't know. They did, if they did so well against Hawthorne at the MCG, yeah, Essendon enough. aren't Hawthorne. Anything's possible here. I'll still, still tip Essendon, though. Sunday Essendon. afternoon, Gold Coast have Sydney at Metricon Stadium in what should be a reasonable game, one suspects. It should be interesting. But then I mean, again, it's... we thought that about Sydney and Geelong, so... Well, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. You, you think... Gold Coast have had their position really inflated by the teams they've beaten. They've only beaten the bottom six teams, I think, or six of the bottom seven. And you see what happened when they played Adelaide. Um, I don't want to sound too cocky, but I do think we should do this quite comfortably. But, I mean, yeah, anything can happen up there, I suppose. Playing Adelaide in front of 47,000 people and playing Sydney in front of 20,000 people at home is a little... A little bit of a different... A little bit different, Fisher. yeah, that's true. I think yeah, but, Gold Coast yeah. actually have pretty good form at home. Yeah. I can't actually remember in all the games I've actually seen Gold Coast play that a team's comprehensively beaten up there. I don't know if it's Was just that... the nature of teams actually play there, but I think they usually do pretty well at their home track. It really is one side of the experiment that is actually working. Mm. Um, Fremantle have Adelaide on Sunday afternoon at Patterson, uh, Sunday afternoon at Patterson Stadium. Uh, anyone give Adelaide a chance? If Taylor, if Actually, I do, but... It's it has to be similar to what the uh, was a two thousand and twelve qualif elimination or whatever semi final or whatever final it was, but when Walker plays well. But if Walker, Danchfield, Sloan have big games, Adelaide are a chance, but I suspect Frio to win by about thirty points, forty points. Seppo? Yeah. Great um <laughs> analysis there. I, I, I put ourselves down for a 30-point win, and, and if Adelaide are any chance, it's going to be Tex continuing the form he had, but I don't know how he's going to back it up against uh, one of Dawson, McFarlane and Johnson, so they're going to have a tough time, and providing we can get Hill and Fife on the park, we should uh, account for them quite well at home. Oh. be a different story if it was Adelaide Oval. we got North Melbourne and Richmond as the last game on Sunday night in the uh, fantastic Sunday night slot we all love at Eddie Head ah. Stadium. This could it's set a record... On. This could the set a... Oh, well, that's true, actually. I was going to say, it's... otherwise it would set a record for a low crowd, probably. But, yeah, uh, yeah. public holiday Sunday night. So... Press red for Kev. <laughs> <laughs> that's a... 
Uh, does anyone give uh, Richmond a chance of beating North Melbourne? The uh, only way no. that Richmond will win is if the what we said before the um, Jekyll and Hyde, Je- Jekyll and Hyde North turn out that they don't rock up, and with Richmond, their flip of the coin, if they do rock up, there is a chance they'll win. But um, really on form, North are starting to show a bit of consistency and coming off their performance. You just want them to back it up, um, but you just never know. <laughs> I'll okay. be tipping North, though. Okay, it's North. Monday for the Queen's birthday holiday. Melbourne, as always, play Collingwood at the MCG. Uh, Could actually be an interesting game. Um, well, you look at how Melbourne's gone against Port, and I think a few years ago, one of their closest results against the big clubs was, I think they lost to the Pies by only a couple of points. On they beat Collingwood the by birthday. a point from memory, didn't they? Oh, they might yeah. have been. Yeah, they might have, have been beaten them. No, yeah. I think it was a draw, then they lost by like one or two points when a Demons player dropped a mark. Yeah. So, I mean, they, they do seem to get up for this game, and they have looked a lot better this year, so that could actually be quite an interesting game. I think... So, it looks like game of the game of the round is going to be the, what, Gold Coast Swans game? Yeah, yeah. potentially. I think others are going to... Carlton Geelong will blow out, probably. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Hawthorne West Coast. GWS Essendon yeah. could be an interesting one. I North, think Freo Adelaide would be game of the round. Freo Adelaide could be up there. Few candidates. What are we looking forward to the most on the weekend, though, guys? Uh, SM. Oh, look. I guess just just looking forward to seeing if we can keep going against another top four candidate. Really cement our spot in the top four and and see how the team can gel again. I guess. And uh, Cookson. Uh, seeing my team hopefully, well, the young players hopefully develop more and cracking open that first beer on Friday night. I guess. <laughs> And Seppo, what are you First looking forward to? First of many. <laughs> um, I'm just looking forward to watching the um, North Richmond game, more for um, the results at the end of it, what the uh, Richmond supporters do and, and what the North supporters will do if they lose this. So it's um, Microwaves it's will ta- be ready. Yeah, it's tail of the two most in- inconsistent sides over the years, so it'll be great to watch. Wait, how many times have Richmond fans already burnt their microwaves this season. They, they've probably yeah, rung yeah. up the club for more membership so they can burn <laughs> them too. <laughs> Alrighty, I'm going for uh, Carlton to get an upset on over Geelong actually, but um, that's that's me, ever the optimist, as it were. Um, I'm personally looking forward to Messenger returning next week so I can give him crap about how bad his team was against GWS. <laughs> and uh, guys, thank you very much for participating in the podcast tonight. Thank you uh, Cookson. On Habla Espanol and Sayonara and whatever language I'm speaking now. <laughs> Thank you, Seppo. <laughs> no worries. Thanks for having me back on again this week. And thanks for coming on, SM. No worries. Thanks for having me. And that's all from me. I've been the Wookiee, and we'll see you all on the floor. Unbelievable.